Hello, and welcome to the Eastern Front. My name is Giselle Donnelly, and I'm a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. I am joined by... Yulia Zoja with the Middle East Institute and Georgetown University, and... Dalit Baruhash, also with AI. On our podcast, we talk about the many challenges to the European peace that have emerged along a line running from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea, the Eastern Front, and about why these matter to the United States. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Joining us today is Adrian Papahagi, who claims not to be an expert, but is in fact uh, something even greater, a public intellectual. Uh, that will allow us to have a wide-ranging conversation today uh, about um, the politics of Romania and the Orthodox Church. So this is an issue that we've all been looking forward to, uh, to for some time. Adrian, welcome uh, to the Eastern Front. And Yulia, why don't you get the interrogation underway? I'll do my best. So Adrian and Papa Haji, thank you for joining us. Um, we've been, as Giselle was saying, looking forward to hosting you um, because you, um, as a public intellectual and as someone that is following the issues um, at close, um, Adrian is also a professor with um, the University of Cluj in Romania. Um, uh, you have you can help us marry to understand um, what is going on and what the dimensions are of um, of this conflict in religious terms, um, but also in terms of I guess broader cultural, societal, regional um, issues. And um, there's so many topics that um, that we'd love to talk about. But to get us started, I was thinking about one question that can, again, marry orthodoxy and Romania with Ukraine. And so I'll put it out there so you can tell me that I'm completely wrong. Um, over the last few months through this conflict, as I'm here um, in D.C., I've been trying, obviously, to get a better understanding of how people in Romania um, talk about the conflict, um, how they understand the conflict. And um, in Romania, as in many countries in the region that are Orthodox, majority Orthodox, um, the way um, religious figures at the local level um, and um, at the regional and, of course, national level talk to people about conflict conflict does play a huge role um, in how people process what they think is right and wrong, how they're seeing this conflict evolving, etc. So the question that I have for you is the following that I've kind of put through bits and pieces from hearing from people in Romania. So Romania um, is majority Orthodox um, and uh, but, but orthodoxy and, and cultural aspects do differ from region to region. And what I've heard is that um, religious figures, uh, priests in uh, Romania's east, which is also called Moldova, for those um, that tend to confound it with the Republic of Moldova, um, in the in in the east, talk about. Um, uh, talk about the conflict in rather problematic terms in the sense of 
tendencies of Russian influence and portraying it at times as pro-Russian, whereas in the West, where you are in Transylvania, I've heard that religious Orthodox figures are predominantly, if we can generalize it, um, talk about, uh, they're talking about the conflict in a more pro-Ukrainian and pro-Western way. Does that make sense to you? Am I completely wrong with this? No, not completely, only partially, I would say. Uh, thank you, first of all, for having me here. No, it's not a matter about East and West. I can give you the example of um, Bishop Ignatius of Hush. Hush is one of the Eastern dioceses of the Orthodox Church, bordering the Republic of Moldova and the former uh, Soviet Union, right? The part of Moldova that was uh, actually uh, stolen from this country by the Soviet Union. Uh, and he um, undertook two trips to Kiev, to um, Chernovitz with uh, humanitarian aid. So it's not really like that. And I know, unfortunately, people in this part of Romania, in the west of Romania, in Transylvania, uh, who are rather pro-Putin. Uh, so it's not really geographical. Um, I must say from the outset that the patriarch of the Romanian Orthodox Church, Daniel, on the 7th of March, so very early on, right on the 7th of March, uh, declared that this is a war, and I'm, I, I think I'm almost quoting, a war waged against the sovereign and independent state. So there is a clear denunciation of Putin's aggression at the highest level in the Romanian Orthodox Church. There was also the position of the spokesperson, uh, spokesman of the uh, Romanian Orthodox Church, Vasile Bonescu, who, uh, true, uh, in a private capacity, wrote a very tough, a very tough condemnation of uh, this uh, horrible war. Uh, the entire Orthodox community in Romania contributed uh, towards helping the refugees. Uh, you should know that almost a million Ukrainian refugees, 900,000 uh, is the last figure I'm aware of, across uh, Romania, not all of them stayed here, but uh, almost a million Ukrainians um, crossed this country, um, and uh, several thousands of them uh, are sheltered by the Orthodox, uh, by the Romanian Orthodox Church in its facilities. Uh, and the, the Romanian Church also uh, finally managed to send uh, 7 million euros worth of humanitarian aid to Ukraine. So there has been a huge wave of solidarity and sympathy. It's true, there are voices in Romania, especially, but I, I think they are among the high clergy, they are rather marginal, uh, that sided with Putin. For example, the Bishop of, um, of Constanza, which is the major Romanian um, sea uh, city in uh, the east of the country at the Black Sea. Uh, the uh, infamous uh, locally or uh, famous brothers, uh, Bishop uh, Theodosia of Constanza, kind of praised Putin for financing uh, Mount Athos and other Orthodox uh, buildings and so on. But as a rule, so far as I'm aware of, in the parishes, in the bishops I talk to, uh, there is a, an almost unanimous condemnation of the Russian aggression. It is true that in some Orthodox communities there is some kind of sympathy 
with Putin on the following account. Uh, the propaganda that Putin is actually fighting an anti-globalist war, that he is some kind of, uh, I, I don't know, defender of the faith, uh, to put it like that, in famous terms, or that he is some sort of uh, rampart of conservative Christian values in Eastern Europe, uh, this uh, terrible propaganda has uh, actually its uh, its followers, unfortunately. But I, I, I cannot tell you, I, I don't have the feeling that they are a majority. Most Romanians responded extremely well to um, the humanitarian crisis. We are sheltering a Ukrainian family in one of our houses here in Cluj. Uh, I, I know a lot of people who have been sheltering Ukrainian refugees who have been translating for them, uh, uh, organizing aid transports and so on. So there is a general solidarity in this country. And the church, the Romanian Orthodox Church, has sided. And let's not forget something. The Ukrainians are as Orthodox as the Russians. It's not that uh, Orthodox Romania would side with Orthodox Putin against something else. No, Orthodox or so-called Orthodox Russia bombed Orthodox Ukraine on Easter on Easter, right? So, and and Putin's altar boy, as Pope Francis so aptly called um, uh, Patriarch <laughs> Cyril, um, has been justifying this horrible invasion. Um, and there are voices uh, among all, uh, throughout the Orthodox world, condemning this. I, I can think, for example, of the, um, of the Archbishop of Cyprus, uh, the ecumenical uh, patriarch, whom, by the way, Cyril calls uh, the patriarch of Istanbul, right? Uh, and who accepted the Ukrainian uh, autocephalous uh, church in 2019. So it's not that easy. Uh, uh, people are no longer, uh, there is not a divide, first of all, between East and West, and secondly, between Orthodox and Western whatever. No, uh, you cannot say that. But you are right to say that there are communities, especially monastic communities in Eastern Romania. Um, how should I say? I wouldn't like to say more conservative using conservative in the way that progressives use it as something bad that should be, uh, you know, uh, no. Uh, there are, uh, I don't even know how to call them. So there are communities that uh, for some reason uh, seem to have the feeling that uh, the West is the Antichrist, uh, globalism is uh, the absolute evil and so on, and who for this reason uh, tend to believe that Putin in some way represents uh, the, the, uh, the uh, how should I say, the defense of orthodoxy and of traditional values. But most people in Romania are, are outraged by this war uh, Romanians as a people, uh, the Orthodox Church at the official level and at all the levels that I have contact with, and finally even the Romanian state in its typically hesitant way. Uh, but even, <laughs> even, even Romanian politicians, uh, of course, they don't behave as nicely and as wisely as the Poles or the others, but eventually even hesitant Romanian politicians uh, did what they were supposed to do. So I, I think that on the whole, uh, Romania is unanimous in condemning 
Putin. No, I think this was a really important point that you that you made about um, the orthodoxy not being some homogeneous blob that would just throw a particular line on 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 on, on this. <clears throat> that might be true of Russia, where there has been for a very long time very little, if any, separation between the church and the state, and the sort of link power linkages running running in, in, in both directions. I think it's worth stressing that the Orthodox Church in Romania is autocephalous, does not report to to any any higher uh authority in the in the in the church hierarchy and there are obviously very strict sort of you know laws on, on the separation of, of church and state in uh in, 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 in Romania. I wonder though um to whether really um this 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 sort of reactionary instinct that you described uh the in, in the case of some church figures which also applies to you know many members of the catholic church that sort of look at globalism as as a, as, a, as a mortal threat whether that's really not the sort of main driving force rather than than anything that has to do with orthodoxy as as such uh because you i could find you examples you know from the west from across the western world and from central europe where where you would have either members of the clergy or 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 or, or, or laymen making these arguments and making them on, on sort of religious on religious grounds uh just as you can find examples of of, of members of the orthodox church uh but i wonder if he, if there is any evidence of uh any kind of outreach or or, or, or personal linkages between um, the Orthodox Church in Russia and and some of these fringe elements of Orthodoxy in Romania uh, over, especially over the past eight years, really. No, hardly. Although you know, Cyril's book was translated in Romanian and launched in different places, but no, I think that the people who overtly side with Russia. In Romania, uh, Romanians are, as a rule, like Poles and most Eastern Europeans, uh, extremely, if not viscerally, I shouldn't say viscerally perhaps, but uh, understandably anti-Russian, because they can still remember uh, the Soviet occupation and uh, what communism uh, brought us, namely uh, poverty, crime and lawlessness. Uh, most people remember that, so they are very. Uh, they, they can't side with Putin, but uh, there are, of course, elements in Romania. There is even now a, a newly born but rather active and vocal um, nationalistic party. Elements that claim to be, uh, you see, defending sovereignty, but who have no problems with the sovereignty of Ukraine being. Uh, really uh, tread, uh, trod underfoot, or I should say, uh, under wheels by the Russian uh, tanks and, and uh, armored uh, vehicles. So uh, these people are all over Europe. You're right. Marine Le Pen, uh, uh, who is, hey, maybe, she may be right about excessive immigration to France, but on the other hand, her ties to Putin are undeniable. Now, the ties of this party in Romania, and it's funny how the nationalists are always linked to the most anti-national uh, party there is, namely Putin the aggressor. Uh, that's something very funny, right? They claim to defend sovereignty and to be nationalistic, but actually uh, there is nothing more anti-national and anti-sovereign 
than these parties. Now, in the case of this party, which in Romania is called AUR, that means gold, uh, the acronym means gold, so the golden uh, party, right? Um, sending to Ceausescu's golden age, perhaps, I don't know. Um, I think so, yeah, I think that's yeah. the reference. <laughs> uh, or uh, to some kind of uh, gold rush, political gold rush, uh, this far time to the Far East rather than the Far West. Well, uh, jokes apart, this party uh, has ties, for example, with such characters as Bishop Theodosia of Constanza. And they all have something in common. They have really no ties, no entries, no acceptance in the West. Bishop Theodosia was, uh, um, uh, is also isolated within the Romanian church. The, he, he, the patriarch uh, wrote him a very severe letter a few um, months ago, um, rebuking his uh, drive for power and also um, his claims um, he wanted to create there a, a metropoly, a metropole in, in Constanza and that was denied. So uh, these people are marginal. They also had links to the political mafia that was investigated by the anti-corruption uh, courts and uh, consequently these people really are in a dead end. They, they have nowhere to go. So they have been pushed to an extreme, to such an extreme that they can even side with Putin without losing anything because they have lost their honorability and credibility for a long time. Uh, people uh, otherwise, uh, well, important public figures uh, rarely overtly uh, side with Putin. But when they are compromised beyond repair and redemption, they can certainly uh, finally tell the truth. Now, for the Gold Party, uh, the Our Party, their ties with Moscow have not been um, proven, but actually all their positions go in this uh, direction. For example, why should we export weapons to the Ukraine? We should fight for peace. You know, uh, they, they almost talk in the ancient Soviet uh, cliches. Um, Romania should mind its own independence. The West has conquered and colonized us. We want to be independent and sovereign. We have nothing, you see? So that sort of uh, positions. Uh, why spend money on weapons when we have our poor at home? Why don't we support, uh, I, I don't know, eradicate poverty in Romania rather than helping the refugees? Horrible things like this. But the people don't buy into that. They, they have been hugely discredited and losing uh, points. So that, because in, as I told you, and as I, I'm certain, uh, in Romania there is at this time uh, rather sympathy with the Ukraine and with the Ukrainian refugees, and such positions are not really very popular. I hope I'm not wrong, but that's how I feel. Uh, well, you could have been describing the position of many in the Democratic Party here uh, in the United States in terms of uh, uh, their anti-war sentiments. <clears throat> Uh, but also, I think it's important that we impose a limit on the use of the term autocephaly or its derivatives, just uh, for the sake of the audience. Uh, maybe self-legitimizing or something like that will will do. Plain. Yeah, independent. Let's say independent. Autocephalous in orthodox. Okay, fine. Yeah, in orthodox um, uh, church law, uh, autocephalous means independent. Actually. And uh, uh, what Russia managed was actually to push the Ukrainian church further uh, down the road of independence 
because very recently on the 27th of May uh, or 24th or something like that, very, a few days ago really, um, the uh, Ukrainian, uh, the, the Orthodox Church of Ukraine, uh, led by the Metropolitan of Kiev, uh, has declared its final um, uh, uh, independence and they, no they are no longer in communion with Moscow. Now, all Orthodox churches worldwide are in communion with each other. Breaking the communion is excommunicating. So practically now they are not mentioning uh, Cyril and uh, in, in their diptychs. In other words, uh, canonically from now on, uh, the Russian church has lost all grasp on the Ukrainians. And it, it's quite obvious why. This is what you... And, you see, uh, I, I shouldn't say Felix Kulpa because this comes with uh, debts and, and suffering. But what Putin has done is he has consolidated Ukrainian independence on statal, but also on religious terms, because now there is no way back. And he has also united the West against it and finally shown all these people who were treated with him, like uh, the Westerners with Hitler um, before Munich, right? that there is no way to treat to to uh, try to pacify or to appease or perhaps to uh, buy up moscow no and and he has shown the west that uh, russia remains a rogue state a tyranny uh, a, a state that has chosen rather than to collaborate with the west to hate it to undermine it to subvert it to attack it uh, and and uh, there we go uh, finally this is a moment of revelation, I, I hope, even for the Democrats, but even for Trump. I, I was not very happy to hear Trump a few days ago saying that those 40 billion were better spent in America, in American schools, then uh, that, that shouldn't be said. So uh, if that's the conservative line in America, I'm very worried. Uh, Boris Johnson so far remains on the right line, so far as I'm concerned, Poland once again remains a remarkable and admirable country, uh, and and France and Germany uh, should be well, not really ashamed of themselves, but yeah, they should uh, be ashamed. They, they are losing the moral. They should be, but they are losing the moral leadership of, of Europe. Perhaps they will lose the political leadership as well. I read a few days ago that Thales. Uh, night vision systems were found by the Ukrainians on uh, Russian tanks. So the French have been selling equipment, uh, high technology equipment, uh, to the uh, Russians despite the embargo after 2014. Uh, the Germans have so far not delivered much. They said they would send weapons, they haven't sent much. They are temporizing all the time. So uh, these things uh, are, are unacceptable. Now, Romania is traditionally hesitant, hesitant between America and Britain and uh, France and Germany. It's always, you see, uh, playing on the tight road. But I think uh, from a military point of view, Romania is standing with America and the UK. Economically, it's uh, very much dependent on France and Germany. So this type of balance should be kept. Before we leave the, the topic of uh, orthodoxy for more secular uh, matters, um, I, I would like to get your take on uh, Patriarch Cyril, uh, who has been a featured uh, persona in 
a number of extended analyses um, here in the United States and in the West. How are we to, is he a unique individual who's, who's sort of contributing to um, Russian imperialism or is he more a manifestation of that phenomenon? I mean, how are we to understand a man who seems very strange to an American mind, I have to say, uh, and, and threatening? Yes, well, he's in no way singular, and so I wouldn't personalize or reduce Russian orthodoxy to him. Unfortunately, very much of Russian orthodoxy is uh, uh, affiliated or controlled by the state. Um, the confessor of Putin, uh, Metropolitan Tikhon of uh, Skov, also justified uh, the war as a war against the Ukrainian schismatics, right? So he sees it as a holy war. He justifies it in terms that for us remind us, I don't know, of, of, of uh, Islam rather than uh, a Christian country in the 21st century. And this very idea of Ruski Mir, right? The Russian world, which means Russian peace, peace and war, right? As in Vainayan Mir uh, by uh, Tolstoy, uh, reminds me of Islam. Islam also means peace, but peace through submission. The peace that the Russians have in mind is everybody obeying them. Then it's they are going to get peace. I mean, either you, yeah, you belong to our world or we crash you down. Uh, liberating cities means killing everybody. Of course, that's a final liberation. They liberate them of life and everything. So it's, it's horrible. Someone who has been uh, praised and also uh, how, how should I say, a very international figure, a great theologian, um, um, uh, what's he called, um, the, the uh, foreign relations, uh, Alfeyev, Hilarion or Hilary Alfeyev, right? Uh, great Russian theologian, studies and uh, honorary PhDs all over Europe. He is also a defender of this horrible war, right? For them, too, this is a holy war, a war of civilization, the right of holy Russia to do whatever they want, and so on. Uh, holy Russia is a concept that has been going on for a very long time. Alain Besançon, an important uh, French specialist in, in Russia, wrote a book called Holy Russia, Sainte Russie, where he analyzes this idea. So, yes, there is a religious uh, concept behind Russian imperialism. Uh, so now that they are no longer Soviets, uh, they have also annexed orthodoxy. And that's perhaps Putin's innovation. He's a Bolshevik, he's a communist, but he has also annexed, appended orthodoxy. He has enrolled orthodoxy rather than uh, attacking it or, or uh, abolishing it. He has appended it. Everything in Russia is appended to a KGB-controlled uh, mafia uh, Whose, whose boss is Putin, and we know very well about the uh, background of patriarch Cyril. So there is no surprise there. However, there are courageous voices in Russia as well, among the clergy, uh, and, and uh, obviously there is no, not a consensus there, but the dissidence is so faint, so feeble in Russia that it's almost inaudible. Uh, so that's that's my uh, my my deepest sorrow that people can't 
finally find the courage to to come out against Putin uh, the way they did in many communist countries at all times. So how tight is dicta this dictatorship that almost no one dares say anything or that certainly puts it into perspective and opens up um, a huge number of questions, whether dissidence is possible, how rough is the regime, and how can we compare it to the previous one, um, not just in terms of smashing dis dissidents, but also in terms of um, interesting parallels, and that's yet another topic between Putin's aim of control and and um his how much of a fan he is of stalin's but um to stick to romania and before we let you go get in some questions on the secular side um i'm wondering you described very elegantly um romanian the romanian government's response vis-a-vis -vis the war um that is hesitant um you that's what you called it and you just briefly um drew a parallel in terms of economic um dependence that romania has on france and germany um i'm wondering if you can help us draw a more complete picture of that indeed what i've seen from here um to my mm, um upsetness let's just put it that way has been has been that hesitancy that romania unlike poland like you said unlike slovakia unlike the baltic countries has been from the outset um yes um uh, um position of projection and enabling of power projection, particularly by the United States, as it defines itself for a long time. But beyond that strategic partnership with the United States that I know you, when you were working in the government, have has um, have played a key role in, in um, putting together under, under Hillary Clinton. Um, Beyond that strategic partnership, the relationship that Romania has or the view that Romania has towards Ukraine is complicated. Um, yes, Romania is a supporter of Ukraine in terms of the government, but you keep hearing in the public sphere voices that point, obviously amplified by propaganda, that keep pointing to problematic historic relationships between Ukrainians and Romanians, um, confound um, Ukrainians with um, Soviets and what the Soviets have done to Romania in World War II and afterwards. And um, I, I'm worried how much that trickles into um, into how the government is deciding to act vis-a-vis -vis, uh, vis -vis Ukraine. When we look at matters on the ground, Romania is not delivering weapons to Ukraine except ammunition a bit. Um, so with that concrete example in mind, can you help us um, draw a complete picture of why Romania is so hesitant and what you expect, whether you expect this position to maintain itself through the summer or um, is there, do you see changes in either way um, that can um, or are likely? No, I don't think it's going to change. I think Romania is going to behave exactly the same Uh, it's going to deliver only the necessary, uh, I mean, in terms of weapons and so on. Uh, I don't know what's going underground. I don't have that type of information, but certainly by what I can see, by what I gather, 
uh, Romania is not in the front line like Poland, uh, even the Czech Republic, Slovakia, the Baltic states, and so on. Uh, of course, it's not as hesitant or complacent as Hungary, thank God. Um, but uh, so there are, I think, three main things to say about Romania. The government, yes, it has done everything it has been uh, asked to do, but not reluctantly, but really. Uh, the minimum that they needed to do. Uh, the Romanian representatives were among the last to visit Kiev. They were among the last to invite Zelensky to speak. Uh, they're about, um, they, they are delivering less than uh, the other Eastern countries in terms of military equipment and support. Uh, so that's one side. And I'm not, I don't think it's going to change. Um, the Romanian president most likely uh, has um, European ambitions, so he is very careful how he um, treats France and Germany. Uh, perhaps uh, he is European ambitions. Maybe we should clarify. Yeah, Sorry yeah, for interrupting. He, means... I suppose after being a president, he intends to be something in Brussels. So he wants a job careful. in Brussels. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> wants a job in Brussels. Uh, on the other hand, the special uh, the uh, special partnership with America. And also the relationship with uh, the UK are solid. And uh, in terms of security, Romania and Poland are the two most important countries in the East. And Romania is strategically perhaps even more important than uh, Poland at this time because it has an opening at the Black Sea, which is one of the most important places. And also for uh, serial transports from uh, the Ukraine and so on. So Romania is playing its strategical card uh, very, uh, I, I think, uh, prudently but uh, seriously. And on the, the other uh, hand, it's trying, I think, not to upset France and Germany too much. Uh, so it will never be Poland, but it will never be Hungary, if you wish. It will keep playing like this. The game will be, I think, very benefit, uh, beneficial for Romania. Romania will come out very well from this, because first of all, the population has acted admirably uh, in terms of solidarity. The church has not been won over or even the conservative uh, in intellectuals or uh, most important public figures in Romania uh, have not been won over by Putin. And finally, the government is delivering, as I said, at low speed, uh, but not reluctantly what they are supposed to. And that's it. And I think it's going to stay like that. Uh, throughout the conflict, so um, you shouldn't expect anything. Look, I understand. I understand that, and it makes perfect strategic sense uh, given American and Western behavior more broadly since the end of the Cold War to, you know, hedge your bets, so to speak. But I, you know, can we imagine what the situation would be <laughs> once Ukraine wins and the United States? I mean. It's still up for you know history to decide, obviously, but um, hedging countries are pretty good gauges of the balance of power and the trends of power and so on and so forth. So I just wonder, is it, isn't there a, an upside to success in Ukraine, meaning uh, you know something that the Ukrainians understand as a as a win, and also a realignment uh, of 
the power structure within Europe. If France and Germany are not full participants in this in Eastern Europe, um, and the United States and Britain are really the the pace setters here, how would that affect Romanian calculations? Actually, my, my, my final question is somewhat somewhat related. So so usually I focus on the upside uh, scenario. Uh, I'm interested in, and, and and hopefully you can answer that in one go. I'm interested in uh, the uh, possible dynamics of Romanian politics going forward. So so there was this parallel made with with with, with Hungary, which is kind of interesting, right? Like both countries have somewhat complicated histories with Ukraine. Uh, minorities speaking their language in Ukraine, yet uh, they have taken very different positions on this war, and the Romanian one is by far more more responsible and and more more mature of the of the two. Yet um, going into the election, Orban had, uh, I mean, a lot of success with the very simple idea that he wants to keep Hungary out of this war. That this is not Hungary's war. And why should Hungarian ordinary Hungarians pay the price of it? And in the light of of the EU summit last night, and in the light of uh, you know the prospect of increasing costs of living and increasing oil prices across the world for for months and months to come, uh, do you see a potential for a sort of populist reaction that would upend Romanian politics and upend Romanian position on 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 on, on this conflict in a way that would uh maybe turn it into another version of, of Orban's Hungary on this on this on this narrow question? No, I, I don't think that's possible. So to answer both questions in one go, uh I, I'm sure that Ukraine will resist and win. I'm sure that the West will once again uh, prove its its attraction force. Nobody wants to live in Russia or like the Russians or under the Russians. Um, the American dream remains something valid. Uh, America, even with a very weak Biden, has acted decently in this war. And Britain, uh, really, with, with uh, Boris Johnson, has found some kind of leadership in Europe. Poland has emerged now, especially after having been uh, humiliated by France and Germany for so many years because it defended simple, obvious, conservative truths, now it emerges uh, morally justified. And it shows that all its positions uh, concerning Russia, but also concerning conservative points of view, are decent, uh, justified, and uh, that you cannot amalgamate, that you cannot equate uh, conservative positions with Putin, uh, with favoring Putin. And on the other hand, the progressives of Europe, Macron and Scholz, and even Merkel, uh, have sided with Putin and even delivered Eastern Europe to Putin. So thank God there is America and the UK. Otherwise, I'm not very sure about what our fate would be in the East if we were to depend solely on France and Germany, as you can see. Um, the number of Austrian, French, German, and Italian high politicians who were even paid by Putin, Fillon, uh, the, the Austrian foreign minister, uh, this uh, absolute rogue uh, Schroeder and so on, is incredible. So 
I think there will be a rebalancing of Europe. Um, the former Romanian president talked about the, an axis going, well, axis was not a good choice of words in his, uh, <laughs> but he, he meant it well. He was not extremely cultured, but he meant it well. London, uh, Washington. Now you should add Warsaw on that uh, strategic direction. Uh, if Romanian politicians were smart enough, they would unhesitantly join this uh, line and side with Warsaw. I have been favoring this for years and saying that Romania should side with Poland. Unfortunately, Poland has not very, was not much interested in Romania. Uh, their Visegrad connection, which is now a bit shaky, and their historic brotherhood and friendship and love uh, with Hungary uh, has prevented uh, Poland showing much interest in Romania. But things can uh, be realigned. Uh, Romania faces, if it had courageous leadership and visionary and uh, slightly intelligent leadership, it would seize this opportunity and become much more relevant uh, in connection with America and so on. As it is, I doubt it will happen. I think they will keep on being as hesitant. But Romania has had much luck in history over the past uh, 150 yeah. years. So even when it loses uh, conflict, it ends up being more successful than before. And this time, it's not on the losing side. It's on the winning side, uh, only hesitantly, or un, how should I say, unintelligently so, but still it's on the right side. Now, will populism make Romanian public opinion shift? No, they won't. Is the Romanian political class uh, in any way bent to listen to the Vox Populi and become populist? No, they are so much. Uh, controlled by uh, certain, I shouldn't say controlled, no, but they are so much in awe or uh, dependent on uh, Western political decision that they cannot allow to do anything uh, like that. So I think Romania will be very safe, very unspectacular, uh, very predictable over the next uh, period. It will behave pretty much the way it has already. A popular sympathy for the Ukraine uh, relative uh, relative uh, supportiveness, even in military terms, and the same uh, type of uh, balance between uh, France and Germany and the US, the UK, and that's going to be it, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but also fortunately, it could be worse. It could be worse. You know, this reminds me, that's very typical Romanian. You've characterized it in very plastic terms, something that is, I guess, Romanian strategic culture. Um, it's unfortunate for me to say that, but it does remind me of that. There's a Romanian saying, I'm going to try to translate it. Um, if you bend your head, it won't be cut off. Um, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of um, let's um, go what this with reminds me last of. formulation. Let's give victory a chance, okay? That's the you know. That sounds great. That's right, and in fact, we should adopt that as our theme song. It's about as cheerful as we can get on the Eastern Front. Yes, of course, it's easy for us to be smiling, but only a few kilometers from Cluj, within reach of Russian artillery, people are dying. So. Uh, the victory, Ukraine will certainly win. Uh, the Russian military has shown its uh, brutality, its violence, 
uh, Putin's regime has shown its totalitarian face. Now we know their true colors, but we also know something else, that the king is more or less naked, that their power is not that powerful, that the West still is the leading uh, force uh, of civilization worldwide, that uh, America and Britain remain, as opposed to Russia, the only countries that never knew dictatorship, and Russia remains the only country, I think, that never knew democracy. So uh, between these two <laughs> extremes, uh, I think the choice is very obvious, and the people who side with Putin now will repent it sore uh, very uh, soon. I hope this war will be over uh, ere long. I hope it will be over before the end of the year. Unfortunately, I think it's going to continue in the East uh, and, and in Donbass. I don't know how much Ukraine will be able to keep, if it will be able to uh, reconquer everything, how long it will then continue. But one thing is certain, one shouldn't treat with Russia, one should really defeat Russia, and one should force the Russians to do what the Germans did after the Second World War, recognize the illegitimate and criminal nature of communism uh, and, and Bolshevism. It's unacceptable that they can still uh, display Stalin's uh, pictures and, and uh, sing songs about their heroes, Lenin and, and Stalin. Uh, imagine Germans uh, singing the praises of Goebbels and Hitler. It's unimaginable that such a country uh, should still in any way participate in, in Western civilization. Its antagonism has become clear. Let's defeat them if we can. Uh, and that's it. Well, Adrian, from, from your lips to Joe Biden's ears, uh, please. We, we have gone so far over time, but Adrian, that's, that's all credit to you because this has been a fascinating and wide-ranging discussion. I think we should have more public intellectuals on uh, and cut back on the experts. Uh, it's a much better conversation. Adrian Papahaji, many thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. Okay. Uh, from me, Giselle Donnelly and... Yuria Joja and... Dalbur Thank you so much for listening to The Eastern Front. Our podcast is dedicated to the security challenges arising along the line from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. You can find more episodes and additional content on our website, aei.org, or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please be in touch with us on Twitter using the hashtag EasternFrontPod, that's one long word, uh, as the hashtag. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, rating, and reviewing us. Thank you, and goodbye until next time.